The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. So hello and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today I have a guest that I'm really excited about and a topic that I know, no, 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 no is going to resonate and speak to so many of you because uh, we're going to address a question that I get a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, both in listener emails and also just in my private practice and even among my friends. And so the question we're going to address today is how can you tell the difference between anxiety and intuition. I know it's a good one, right? And the guest that I have today is anxiety expert, licensed therapist, best-selling author, and mother of four, Amber Trueblood. So Amber, welcome to the show. I'm so excited. Thank you, Victoria. I am really, really excited too. It's like the combination of two of my most favorite topics. Yay. Yay. So I'll cover intuition, you cover anxiety, but it's all good because your book, it's called The Unflustered Mom. It's a fantastic book around different anxiety style and styles that parents have and how to parent your kids and understand, you know, your anxiety style. But it's also, I think, Amber, just a brilliant book about understanding anxiety styles in general. For sure. And I think it extends way beyond the parenting journey, which is a very important journey and one that I support many clients through and I'm a mom myself. I would love to jump in right there because to me, my definition of mom really is anybody who is maternal in the sense that they tend to care for others sometimes above their own needs. Right. And so that could be male, female, you could be 14, you could be 44, you could be 84. And if you're somebody who experiences stress or anxiety in your life, and you tend to put the emotional or physical needs of others before your own in a way that's maybe not serving you, then looking at this framework of the five anxiety styles could really help you show up more for yourself with less guilt and anxiety in a way that feels good and benefits everybody. I love that. So it's caregiving in general, not just caregiving as a mom. For sure. Yeah. I love that. And I love the anxiety styles. I mean, I got a lot out of the book and it's funny if you all read the book, which I recommend that you do the anxiety style that I most currently identify with. And I think they change because when I read your book, I would say earlier in my life, I was one style and then recently probably another one now. But I mean, you're going to tell us about them in just a minute because I'm getting everybody all anxious and excited to hear them. (laughs) But you inadvertently use my name. It wasn't about me. We didn't even know each other when she wrote this book. That's so funny. But in the anxiety style, which one is it? The visionary. The visionary. So I have the visionary anxiety style was the one that I most resonated when I read your book. And then she uses this example of a person named Victoria. And I was like cracking up when I read that. <laughs> I can't make 
that stuff up. You sent me like a screenshot of it because I had like forgotten I've been in like, you know, promoting the book mode for so long, you know, because it takes, it's a long process writing the book and going through the whole experience and each anxiety style. So like the lover is Lisa, which was also funny because we have a friend named Lisa. Lisa McCourt. Yeah. And we're pretty sure her anxiety style is lover. Most very definitely. Lisa gets a lot of coverage on this podcast. Yeah. So that's the name I used for lover. And then each one has like the same first letter as their anxiety style. So I did use Victoria. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. So it wasn't random, but it was so cool. So talk to us, tell us about the anxiety styles, how you came up with them and why they matter. Because I think that understanding, you know, how anxiety speaks to you is really the first step for differentiating between, you know, anxiety and intuition. Okay, great. And I have a feeling you're you're going to end up jumping in because a lot of the way that this book and the framework came about in the first place had a lot of intuitive components brought in. So the framework for it came as a download during a meditation in March of 2020. And so when there was a lot of anxiety and fear and anger, which in my mind was a result of the the fear and anxiety that was rampant at that time. So in my mind as a therapist and a human, (laughs) I was really alarmed and worried and it made me feel frustrated and sad seeing so many relationships, whether it was, you know, marriages, whether it was families, whether it was, you know, work, people who'd been best friends for decades, all of a sudden feeling disconnected, feeling like, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. I I don't understand how you're reacting this way and I'm reacting that way. And it made me think, what if we could all understand kind of what is emotionally triggering me different than what is emotionally triggering you? And could that then allow me to have a little bit more self-compassion and a little bit more respect and understanding for your reaction to this that then could just lay the groundwork for us to communicate in a healthier way? right? And not take personal offense by like, Victoria, why? I don't understand why you're not reacting as vehemently as I am or why you're reacting so vehemently in the opposite direction that I want you to, you know? And and so I started thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I started thinking about frameworks like the five love languages. And I thought, you know, what if there was a way for us to understand these differences that could serve to help us emotionally. And so I came up with these five and they're the lover, the fighter, the executive, the visionary, and the dynamo. And so they all have like different kind of core things that are going to trigger emotional distress or or anxiety. They all have different superhero traits, like the things that you're really, really good at as a visionary that like A, let's stop and celebrate and acknowledge those and say, yay, Victoria, you have this amazing ability to envision and think boldly and think bigly about things. And let's also take a moment to have some grace with ourselves and with others and know like not everybody thinks that way. And that's okay. But like if you expect everybody to, and that's frustrating for you, then that could lead to some irritability and some disconnect with other people and maybe feeling not supported Because if you're a visionary and you're not surrounded by any other visionaries, that can be really tough, right? And you have people saying, well, just chill out. Like, look at all the work you're doing already. Just like you have this great practice. Like, why do you also need a podcast or this or that or a retreat, you know? So understanding your anxiety style can help you then have a little bit more grace and understanding with yourself and then hopefully communicate more 
compassionately and clearly with other people in your life. Beautiful. And I'm remembering a conversation that I think we had Yeah, that even sort of calling them anxiety styles is a little bit of a misnomer. For sure. So tell me more about that. Well, at first I called them fear languages, but fully knowing that that wasn't going to stick. Right. That was not the term. I did not want to write a book where I had the word fear written 8,000 times in the book. Right. And so then I switched, then I was playing with anxiety styles and I was playing with you know, the fact that it it really is the flip. There's two sides to each coin because there's part of your anxiety style that is really serving you and it's not a negative. So, and then there are parts where maybe it's not serving you any longer because chances are whatever you're doing served you at one point, I tend to think. Yeah. Right. So where is it not serving you? And then here are the practical things you can do to help move through that, manage it more in a more healthy way. So I started calling them flourish types. So I was like, oh, do I call them flourish types or do I call them anxiety styles? And, you know, then you have to deal with publishers and the marketing and whatnot. And they said, look, we want to keep it anxiety styles. But I wanted to very quickly in the book describe like there is a flip side to this. So it's also the same way you flourish. So the same core driver, and it makes sense, right? So like whatever's super important to you, if it's not showing up in your life, it's going to create anxiety and fear and distress and frustration. And if it is showing up in your life, then it's going to be where you flourish big time. Right. So they're just two sides to the same coin. And it's where you flourish. And it's also where you can find some anxiety. And it's a way to align yourself with, you know, that was going to help you to flourish yes. and to understand where you flourish. Yes. I love that. Because often we see somebody else flourishing and we're like, I want what that person has. What are they doing? Okay, they're going to CrossFit. They're suddenly eating vegan and they just got divorced. I'm gonna do all of those things. Well, okay, wait, hold on. That might work for you, but (laughs) chances are you have a different recipe for what's gonna allow you to flourish. So you want the result they got, which is awesome, which tells you something about where you are now and where you want to be. But the path might be different to get there. Right. And I would say too, and I want to get to the anxiety styles really fast, but I would say too, because this is always my thing when we have these categories is, you know, I never fit into any of them neatly. And I think you would say this, but you know, that you could read the whole book and you may identify like, originally I could say I started as a lover and now I feel that, you know, I'm more fit in the visionary camp a little bit. It wasn't like a slam dunk by any means, but I think that when you read these different things, you probably recognize a little bit of yourself in everyone, right? Or is that normal? I think that's normal. I have a feeling that visionaries don't like to be labeled so much. (laughs) You got that. That's my bass backwards way of saying, "Mm, I think you're a visionary, but you don't want to be in a box. You don't want anybody putting you in a box. Right. No, I always see myself, you know, in different places though. Like I've never feel like I'm just not a box person. You know, I'm this, I'm definitely the square peg. Right. You also are a insightful and quickly evolving person. So I think that when you're very adept at seeing where things are working for you, where you're not, where you want to grow, and then making steps to grow in that direction, then you might, you know, move through your anxiety style or move from one to another, like you're saying. Yeah. So it's interesting. What I always say too, is at the end of the day, it's about what you do with the information and if it helps you in your life. So if you take the quiz and it says you're a lover, but you're drawn to all the practical strategies I wrote about in the executive chapter, then do those strategies. Right. Exactly. I don't care that it said this in your answer. Like 
do the things that you know and you feel intuitively are going to impact you right. the most and the, the most deeply. I love that. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. All right. Tell us about the styles. Let's start with the lover because I think that one is really powerful. And I think a lot of my listeners will relate to that one. I know that I did. Okay. So lovers really are driven by their relationships with the people they care about most in their lives. And I think a lot of people would say, well, of course, that's my first priority. And this is when it's not done in a healthy way, it's taken to the next level. And you might know you're a lover then where if you come home to an empty house, it feels really terrible. You don't like it. If somebody changes plans or cancels out on you at the last minute. Now, nobody loves that. Well, not nobody. Some people do like that, (laughs) but it's often, you know, that you would have disappointment at that. If you find out some of your friends or coworkers got together and didn't invite you instead of maybe, or in addition to just having a disappointment with that, or kind of like, really, that sucks. Like, what happened? You might take it to the next level, which is, oh my gosh, like this Victoria, like, I don't think she likes me. Or, you know, did I do something to offend her? Did I say something when we met last and we went for a walk? Like, oh God, did she take that personally? And she doesn't like me. There becomes this spiral of self-doubt and self-judgment and questioning of yourself. And what can be dangerous about this when it's in an unhealthy state is that your self-worth, your feeling of worthiness is based on the ups and downs of your perceptions, not even the truth of how people feel about you, but your perceptions of how people might feel about you. So wanting to feel loved, wanting to feel wanted, wanting to feel like people want to be around you is really important to lovers. So their life lesson is really about how do I disconnect that so that my feelings of self-worth come from my internal sense of, do I like who I am? Do I like how I show up in the world? Do I appreciate those qualities of myself? Because you can't control what other people do or say or how they behave. And that can be a very draining way of, of living your life. Right. I love that. All right. Let's see. Executives. Okay. So executives are really powered by their need to feel emotionally secure, safe in their environment. And they tend to do this through eliciting and and enacting control, right? Through planning and organizing and strategizing and knowing where everything is in the house and what's coming up next and details, 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 right? So um, they tend to have these amazing personality characteristics they develop by being very loyal, very dependable, very organized, very trustworthy. They have these amazing skills. And chances are, you know, a lot of the strategies I recommend for executives are kind of letting loose, getting creative, doing something physical that's kind of silly that you wouldn't normally do, that doesn't have a right way or a wrong way, that doesn't have a correct answer or a wrong answer. So, you know, drawing, painting, um, 
like getting on those old roller skates or, you know, doing the hula hoop, rolling on the floor with your pet, you know, this might be a way to really tap into that more playful side of you that's not so serious and so like, I got to control everything. Otherwise, I'm not safe or my loved ones aren't safe. All right. I love that. I'm thinking about all the executives in my life, of which I am most definitely not. <laughs> but we're so thankful for them, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Yeah. Although when you're not and you have someone who's like hyper executive in your space, sometimes it can feel like a lot, right? Because when somebody else is like, I need to control everything so I can be safe. Right. And you're a little more spontaneous. Yes. You know, you're like, wait, hold on. And we have to control everything. But if you know that, like, so say I'm a lover, you're an executive and we're in a relationship and I come to you and I say, oh my gosh, Victoria, my friend Kristen just said we can use her house for the weekend because they're out of town. Like, let's drop everything and like go to her house for the weekend and da, da, da. And you might say, uh, I have two podcasts recording. I'm supposed to edit this third. I have a private client. Like, I can't just drop everything and go with you. Now, if I don't know how you're driven, if I don't know that you're an executive and you don't know that I'm a lover, you're saying no could immediately make me feel she doesn't want to spend time with me. Right. This is beautiful house. Are you kidding me? Why? She clearly doesn't like me anymore. Maybe she wants to break up and then my mind spirals. And you might think, You know, she just expects me to drop everything. Like my plans aren't even important. Like I spent a long time working on this podcast. It's really important to me. I have commitments to make to people. So if we know that about one another, we can deliver those things with a a little bit (laughs) more finesse and also then take other people's reactions and responses less personally because they're seldom meant personally. (laughs) And I think too, again, what you're talking about from my perspective as those kind of automatic programs that we all have going on, which which feed our anxiety and, you know, the monkey mind. And when you kind of understand your go-to habitual programming up until now, because you can shift and change it. I know this from experience. uh, You can start to say, oh, there's that thing playing again. And I know it's not real and not true. I know that's just part of, you know, my style of life up until now. And how do I step out of that so that I can hear the real wisdom Right. Which may tell me in this moment, like, oh, wait, hey, it's not that she doesn't like you. Tune in, listen. Oh, she's just perceiving it differently than you are. Right. Yeah. And then the executive knowing that can say, hey, I'm so excited to spend time with you this weekend and I want to do that, but I need some time to cancel a few things. Why don't we just go tomorrow instead, you know, and you can kind of negotiate that. Right. So you can understand each other better. Yes. All right. Which other ones? How many more do we have? We could do Dynamo. Dynamo. Okay. So dynamos are very achievement oriented, very much oriented towards respect and acknowledgement. That can be very, very fulfilling and exciting. They tend to be doers, very action oriented, very much in movement, very much in their head and in the future versus kind of in their heart or in their gut and in the present moment. Okay. Uh, I am a dynamo. And so a lot of the strategies I recommend for fellow dynamos are about practices, slowing down, being back in your body, getting in the present moment, acknowledging past wins, because a lot of dynamos will tend to just immediately glom on to the next goal, the next achievement they want to, which is part of what fuels them and makes them happy, which is great. Right. But the shift is, is it coming from this need to prove something like I am not worthy until? Yeah. Or is it coming from, oh, this is just something I love to do and I want to do more of it. Such a different energy, right? Yes. So how can we shift from still allow your, just like lovers, we're going to still 
hang out and spend time with people you love. Just because you love yourself doesn't mean you stop doing that. It just means you don't need that from other people to feel valuable anymore. Right. That's beautiful. All right. We have two more, right? We have fighter. Yeah. I'll end with visionary since you're a visionary. Okay. (laughs) So fighters are people who tend to identify as survivors as protectors of other people, they tend to be more comfortable in the chaos in that moment of challenge, because that's what they're, I think, physiologically and probably other things, you know, more spiritual than that, even more comfortable knowing what enemy you're up against and actively fighting it, whether it's for yourself or for others. So if you see an injustice, if you see a bullying situation, if you see some unfairness in the world or in your neighborhood or in your family, your gut reaction is to move toward it, to get involved. And often it's, you know, what I've seen is that often it's because when you needed somebody to step in and protect you, that didn't happen. It didn't happen in a way that felt good and safe. So you became your own protector. Right. You became very good at that and so good at that, that you don't want anybody else to feel the same way you felt, which is A, beautiful and lovely and B, super exhausting and not your responsibility to save everybody on the planet, right? So how do you move forward and learn to embrace the strengths that you've developed as a fighter and also check in? So instead of unconsciously moving into every single conflict, you can instead ask yourself like, do I have the bandwidth for this? Do I want to get involved with this? Or am I already having, you know, financial difficulties, relationship difficulties. And really that has nothing to do with me, this drama that's going on with the teachers at the kid's school. And maybe I want to sit this one out because I'm already exhausted. Right. Beautiful. All right. And visionaries. And visionaries are, you know, like is in the title, really focused on their ultimate dream, their ultimate goal, a big passion, a big movement, something they want to create that is big and kind of grand. They tend to be future oriented like dynamos, but heart and gut oriented, which is less like dynamos. So they have some overlap, but they tend to make decisions from their guts and they're not, they're not worried about all the checklists and all the details to get there, but they have that grand vision. Their path is going to be more fluid and more intuitively based than more like, okay, I'm going to research all the facts with how is everybody who wants to make this vision done before me. And then I'm going to say what I'm going to do at three months and then at six months and then at nine months, right? That makes me a little bit like (laughs) jittery. (laughs) uncomfortable, right? Yeah. That's not my way of doing things. That's the dynamo way. So that's like super, super, you know, not everybody is identically the same, obviously, but that tends to be the tendency. So with visionaries, a lot of the strategies that I recommend are, you know, ways to connect with other people in your life who are not visionaries, ways to get that support so that you don't feel like you're the only crazy person who has this grand dream and people are kind of weighing you down or causing you to feel guilt about your grand dream and also, you know, enjoying the journey along the way so that it's not like, well, I'll be happy when, right? I'll be proud when. Let's see, how can we be proud and happy along the way? Because chances are it's a big dream and it might take more than five or six weeks. Right. And I think too that 
we're always going to be happier with the chase than, you know, it's great when you get the thing, but the chase is more of the fun, right? And so when we can understand that we are ever evolving beings, we are ever expanding beings, and we'll never be endlessly satisfied by any one accomplishment or any one creation, then we start to enjoy the manifesting process as much as the manifested thing, which is always no things, no structures are enduring, right? So even something that can bring you pleasure for decades, like you'll, you'll always have that internal will to expand. And I think it's learning to live and to work with that, you know, and to enjoy the process so that, you know, you enjoy all aspects of life. Exactly. And sometimes it's easier said than done. And other times we think we're doing that. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm enjoying the process. And you're like, but are you really? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and how can you tune in and really check in with that and remind yourself? Like, I think one of the exercises you had a friend of ours do was like, look at your past year and see, you know, what did you, what was the most fun? What were the most fun parts right. of your business or your personal life? And chances are that's where everything was in flow. Yes. Right. That's where everybody was getting along. Oh yeah, when we did this or I showed up in this way or that's when like the revenue was flowing in. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Right. And you know where you're flourishing when you're flourishing. And I think, you know, we've talked about this off camera, um, but it's been a theme in my mind for a while. I think there's a lot of focus in this world on negative. And, you know, our minds are focused on negative and we're thought, for example, I need to fix my anxiety style rather than to flow towards our flourishing style. Right. And, you know, I've, I've been asking everyone this question recently, you know, like, which would you rather buy a book that says like how to make your life like not suck? Right. Yeah. How to overcome your struggles and your misery or how to be happy. Right. Mm -hmm. And most people go for the first one. Yeah. Right. They go for the first one, not recognizing that, you know, life is meant to be more than not uncomfortable, right? Life is meant to be magical and joyful and beautiful. And you can start with that. And that's why I love your book and the way that you present it, because yeah, you do talk about these anxiety styles um, and you do help people understand and feel heard when they're in those moments of distress. But they're also flourishing styles and they're also just little pointers of how we can start to flow towards, you know, being our best and brightest selves, which is kind of like what my work is all about. Yes. Yeah. And what you're here to do also, you know, with or without this podcast. Let's switch to talking a little bit about intuition. And I have lots of answers to this question, but I'm going to, you're the guest. So I'm going to ask you first. Oh, okay. how, How do you know the difference for you between intuition and anxiety? Where are the pointers and does it differ at all between the different anxiety types? Okay. So I would, and this is tricky for me, but my, you know, my first intuitive answer to this was, you know, if it's something that comes quick versus pushed, you know, so if it's something that pops into my head, that's maybe unrelated to what I'm thinking or comes very quick that I interpret that as more of an intuitive hit, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if it's something that is seemingly out of the blue, like, oh, I haven't thought about that person for a long time. Or, oh yeah, I'm part of this Hey Mama group and I haven't even told them about the retreat. Like that might make sense. You know, then I'm like, oh, I know I'm onto something because I wasn't sitting there trying to like grind out the, like I'm brainstorming. Okay. This is my moment when I'm going to brainstorm and what are all the groups that like, it wasn't coming from that. So that's how I tend to define it. If it comes quick, if it seems out of the blue, I also, I get now I've been doing this meditative practice long enough now that I will literally, I'll get a physical tingling feeling in the middle of my forehead. 
And so that's a really fun one because that doesn't happen unless I'm really yeah. in alignment and in flow. And I, I love it because it, it feels so definitive. Yeah. Like, and I like that, right? Yeah. And we call those intuitive markers. One of my mm-hmm. teachers long ago would call that an intuitive marker. So okay. mine is like feeling like I'm going to start sobbing, but it's not like sad. It's, just, okay. it's like an exaggerated tear in your eyes. Mm-hmm. People get the chills, but they're those physical kind of sensations that for me, they kind of, you can't make them up. Right. Right. You can't force a tingle between your eyebrows. No. Mm -mm. And it's just a little marker of saying like, oh, pay attention to this. This really is your intuition. This is that moment of alignment. So I love that you shared that. And that's so unique. Yeah. That's, that's been a fun one. And then for me too, like when serendipitous things start to happen, that's when also, and I don't know if you would define that as, as intuitive then, but that's when I know that, like, that my actions are kind of more aligned with my yeah. intuitive, my purpose, I guess. Yeah. Um, because then that's when those magical coincidences happen that are so fun. And I just, I love those. So that's also when I feel like I'm in more of an intuitive receiving state, I'm yeah. going to say, that a active mental pushing state, which is my default. Like that's when, oh, I want this done because I'm so achievement oriented with the dynamo thing. And it's been really fun playing with that, especially as a dynamo, because I have found that the flow happens so much more readily and so much more easily and so much more often if and when I do slow down, get in the moment and get into a receiving mode. Amen then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is even more magical. Yeah, it's true. And I think when our action comes from that place, it's usually a lot more effective, purposeful, and joyous. Yeah. When we can, you know, I call it inspired action versus driven action, right? Or driven behavior. Yes. So I always have always, always, as long as I can remember done to-do lists every day. And I've learned and grown and changed them and all kinds of things. But Uh, probably, I don't know, maybe three years ago, I started doing intuitive to-do lists. So I would not write my to-do list until that morning I would meditate. And then from the meditation, I would write the to-do list from that state. Wow! And the stuff on my list became so much more aligned with what was really related to what I truly wanted to get done versus like, oh my gosh, I said I wanted to do this for months now and I keep putting it off and now it's on my list and there's 50 things on the list. Instead, it was like three to five. Wow. And they were so much more powerful. That's a really powerful practice. I think a lot of people, a lot of people will give that one a try. I would add to that, and this is why I was so intrigued by your book, by your presentation, because I think that one of the ways too that we can tell the difference between anxiety and intuition, first of all, the voice of your soul is always calm. And I define intuition as, you know, that connection, anything where your spirit, higher self source is communicating with you. So it can be a feeling in your body, a thought in your head, a quote unquote thought in your head. It can be a synchronicity or something that comes out of someone else's mouth. I count all Mm -hmm. of that as that spiritual guidance system. So that's just how I define it. But again, you know, it's just words. But I do always think that the voice of our intuition, it's always calm. You know, I always teach people, we have emotions here in the human world and we get all fired up and we feel really strongly about something. And sometimes we feel anxious about something which has a very particular emotional flavor. Uh, But your soul is emotionally neutral, right? Emotion is a very human thing. It is your body's reaction to your thoughts, Mm. okay? On the other side, your spirit soul has neither thoughts nor bodies (laughs) and no fear, 
right? And so when those intuitive hits come through, they're always emotionally neutral. And sometimes if it's something that's very like anxiety provoking, it can be hard to discern that moment where it comes through pure and neutral. Mm-hmm. But usually for the most part, that's one of the ways that I know. And I also think one of the things that I teach people, and again, that's why I think that the work that you're putting out here is so important, is that when you start to understand your triggers and when you start to understand your stories and when you start to understand like what it feels like to be revved up, in all that monkey mind-based chattery stuff. And you start to develop a little presence around that and a little space from that. You know, that's where your intuition comes from. And then it's from that space that you can sort of watch those patterns a little bit more from a distance, like clouds in the sky. You're less identified with them. You understand them for what they are. And then more easily, you can start to discern those from the voice of your soul. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how I tell the difference. And I also know that I have these little stories, right? So someone will say like, you know, I always worry about this happening with my kids, or I always worry about this happening on a plane. You know, every time I get on a plane, I'm anxious about getting on a plane. Is that my intuition? And and the answer is probably not. Right. (laughs) Probably not. If you have a recurring thought and worry about something, it probably has nothing to do with your intuition at all, right? Because the voice of your soul is kind, calm, loving, supportive, and also... It's not usually there to repetitively freak you out, right? But your mind is super good at doing that. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So would that differ between like, I'm trying to think of, there's some people that have ignored like, oh, every time I'm around this person, like I just get a feeling, I feel uncomfortable. What is that? But I think I'm answering my own question as I say that, like, even though that might be repetitive, you're not mad about it. There's not an emotion. It's literally like coming from this other, like, that's weird. Like it's more of a curiosity. Like, yeah, this person hasn't said anything rude to me. Like, why do I feel so uncomfortable around them? Right. So that would be then where your body is picking up on something. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. And again, anxiety usually has to do with the story. It has to do with the story about, you know, she doesn't like me. Oh, I like that. So if you don't have a story behind it. Yeah. Then chances are maybe it is your intuition. Exactly. And again, we go into our stories pretty quickly. So the more (laughs) presence you have between you and that story, the more you can recognize it for what it is. And if you catch yourself in the middle of a story and then you just give yourself a big old hug and you say, I love you, human part of me, and you take that step back and then you're present again. But a lot of times, yeah, intuition isn't a story. So when you have an off feeling about somebody and then you start telling the story about why you don't like them or what you think is wrong with them or what you think must be the deal, even if there was an intuitive hit in there somewhere, you've lost it. Interesting. Right? When you just have that sort of hunch or curiosity, like something about this doesn't feel right. I don't know what it is yet, but something doesn't feel right. Right? That's your intuition. Mm-hmm. Your intuition will give it to you in little bits and pieces. It won't always give you a whole story. Sometimes, you know, I often give the story that, or the, <laughs> I often give the example, it's a story, um, but the example of when I uh, was dating, right, before I met my husband. And I think I was starting to think about, you know, finding that longer term partner. And every person that I would date about two weeks into the relationship, I would get this flash. And the flash would tell me everything that was wrong with them. But it was ineffable. There weren't words. I would just know it'd be like his voice or something. And nothing, by the way, was wrong with any of these wonderful gentlemen, by the way, what was that they weren't going to be my guy, right? Mm -hmm. It was just a little flash that said, like, intuitively, this is not the one. And I would, you know, trod through it because, like, who's going to listen to this weird flash at two weeks? It was just like, well, that's weird, a little disappointing, but okay, I got the flash. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I would, you know, continue for another week, two weeks, three months, 
six months, whatever it would take. And it would always be clear, right? At the end of the relationship, what that flash meant, right? Yeah. But the difference would be that, you know, every guy you date, you know, well, he's not going to be my guy because he's not the right religion. And he's not, you know, and I like taller men and I don't like, you know, I don't like how he is with his finances. I mean, you can look at all those things. It's fine to have preferences. You know, if you don't want to, you know, date or marry someone who is a million dollars in debt, I get that. But those aren't intuitive hits necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? Intuition is often, it doesn't always come fully formed. It doesn't always come in words. It doesn't always make sense at first. Um, And it's not supposed to. It's not supposed to, right? What about the difference between like anxiety, like the feeling of fear associated with it? Like I like when you said like, if it's an intuitive hit, it's not going to be something that's supposed to be scary, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's always emotionally neutral. And even times in my life where I've had hits about things that, you know, were not things that my mind would like very much. Okay. And I have not had a lot of those, but sometimes that someone's going to cross over or something like that. They're always neutral. They're always clear. They're always loving. And there's just no fear attached to them because yeah. you know your spirit doesn't dwell in fear. Now, occasionally people will get them. And again, they'll fill that in. They'll be like, oh my God, they'll get it. The mind will take over. Um, but for the most part, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really worry about that, you know? And I don't usually use my intuition to predict horrible things anyway. That's not what it's best for. <laughs> That's not usually what it does. Yeah. Usually, you know, sometimes it's just giving you a little 411 to go left because left is the easier path, right? But it's not usually there. Like your mind is there to warn you of everything that could possibly go wrong. That is what minds do. And that is why so many of us live in such a high state of anxiety. But your intuition doesn't work that way. Your intuition works the other way. It wants to just show you towards the path of greatest joy. Yeah, that's what it's here to do. That's how it's here to guide us, and it's going to speak to us in exactly that language if we if we choose to listen. I love that. Right? It's not here to freak us out or to help us avoid anything. It's it's to deliver us to that which we desire. I love it. So it's like more subtle. It's less emotionally, like you said, it's neutral, emotionally neutral, more subtle, comes in not necessarily words. I'm like, I'm feeling the need to like, because it's so interesting, all of this combination together, when you're talking about it, it makes it seem so simple. Like, oh yeah, these are two totally different things. Like how could Mm -hmm. we ever confuse them? Right. But we do it all the time and we think, oh, is that my intuition? I should be listening to it. Oh, does this mean I shouldn't make this deal or or go out on a date with this person or spend this money on this project or go on this vacation? And chances are, if it's that kind of viscerally reactive in you, then it's yeah. it's not your intuition. And here's the thing, when you're in that state yeah. where you're like, is it, is it not? Is it, is it, I don't know what to do. You're in your mind. So you're not yeah. going to hear, if there was an intuitive seed in there somewhere, you lost it. And there probably wasn't. You changed the channel. Yeah. And so in those moments when we're trying to figure out if it's our thought mm-hmm. or our anxiety or our intuition, in those moments, the best moment to take a step back. Okay. Hug yourself, soothe yourself, love yourself, but you're never going to figure it out with your mind. You're never going to figure it out with your mind. You'll know it with your soul when you get it. So in those moments when you're trying to figure it out, the best thing to do is just take a step back and you know it'll come again. It'll come again. And as you said at the beginning, intuition is a receptive state, right? It's when we surrender, when we let go, that's when it comes. So in those moments when you're like, 
I don't know. Is this my intuition? Is this my mind? You can always call someone like me if you want. You know, I do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's my my joy to do this. And I will also help you reorient and hear your guidance, you know, to the extent that you're ready. But sometimes you don't need to call someone like me. Sometimes all you really need to do is just recognize, oh, my mind is going again. I'm going to take that step back. And when I'm ready, I'm going to receive the answers that I need. And they will keep coming. They will keep coming. They'll be neutral. They'll be loving. They'll be supportive. And they'll usually surprise you, right? The moment that you're least expecting them, they will be there. Right. And I think like it reminds me of the receiving state. I always think of a blowing through a straw, you know, that like say you're, you know, trying to drink a iced tea or something and you're just, you're blowing <laughs> through the straw constantly, which means you're doing, you're thinking, you're talking, you're acting, right? And you can't do that and receive and get any of the... <laughs> the iced tea. I love that. I love that. Right. Sometimes you got to stop doing all that, take a breath and then inhale. And then just naturally you'll suck up that beautiful juice. I love that. That's a beautiful example. Amber, as we're running out of time, I want to pivot really quickly and ask everyone on the show how their intuition speaks to you, but you've, you already told us a little bit about that. So I'm going to, I'm going to change yours up a little bit. I want to know how does your intuition speak to you in that writing process? Because we've talked about this again off microphone around how your writing process is extremely intuitive. And you mentioned that at the beginning too. So can you talk a little bit about that intuition and the writing process? I think for me, the way I, because I want to write really good books. That's a goal of mine. I want to write really good books that impact a lot of people in a positive way. And for me, I feel strongly that the best way to do that is to have as as big of an intuitive component as possible to it because I'm not some genius master writer who's been writing for a hundred years. So I would love all the help I can get. And what's been helpful for me in terms of tapping into that is to start each writing session, especially if it's a new concept for a new book entirely with how do I want my readers to feel when they're reading this book? How do I want them to feel after? And I like to write. So I will tend to uh, free write that. Oh, I want my readers to feel heard and understood. And I want them to feel hopeful and I want them to feel safe. And I want them to feel excited about their future again. I want, And I'll just write all of those things. And then I'll take a little break, like think about something else for a little bit. And then I'll just go back and start writing. And that for me has been the most fluid way to get into that intuitive state when it comes to writing. I love that. I'm going to play with that. All right. We have to wrap up. This makes me really, really sad, but we do. We can't talk forever. We'll talk again, but we can't talk forever in this forum. All right. You have a lot of cool stuff coming up, a lot of cool offers, including one offer with me. With you. With me at Cactus Blossom Retreat that is coming up in August. So let's talk about that. And then you can also tell people about your book and your quiz and where to find you um, because you're going to want to get your hands on this book. And you're going to want to come to the retreat if you want to write a book, which is our topic. So Amber, tell everyone about that because I'm just being all babbly. Yeah. Well, Victoria and I wanted to put something together. She has this beautiful retreat space and she has this beautiful talent for, you know, helping people in the intuitive world and get more in touch with that. And to me, it's such, it aligns so nicely with book writing and obviously how I write. And, you know, I just published my second book and I've got the third contract brewing right now and the fourth book 
writing the proposal for. So it's it's something that I've done a lot of research on. You are a dynamo. I know. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. And so for me, I wanted to, you know, create a space for people to get the tools that I've found most useful in getting going. And I don't like the word like getting motivated, but kind of uncovering what motivates you best and most easily and getting really clear on your goals, getting really uh, clear on also the nuts and bolts of like, how does this work again? Wait, do I need to write a proposal? Oh, no, I don't. And what are these, you know, kind of doing this combination between kind of the the practical side of publishing, writing a book, and then the actual doing of it. How am I going to approach this process in the funnest, healthiest way for myself? And then bringing in the magic of Victoria and also our other friend, Robin Friedman, to come in and she's going to do some energy clearing with people. So there's a lot of blocks um, and potential things that sabotage people when it comes to writing. Like you hear about writer's block right. and people would always ask me like, oh, well, what do you do with writer's block? And I said, I don't understand the question. I think it's a myth for a lot of people. And that we anticipate, oh, well, what if I have writer's block? Well, if you go put me in a cabin for three months and you're like, write a book, I would find all kinds of reasons not to write a book. But I have a business and I have four kids and I have a very busy life. And so when you have 90 minutes on a Tuesday to write chapter seven, you bet your pants you're going to... You're going to write chapter seven. You're not going to stare out the window for 45 minutes of it. Like you just... So there's things that you can do that I'm going to share with people to Yay. help create the mental environment and the physical environment and then the spiritual and intuitive environment to allow you that space to write that book that's inside of you waiting to come out. I love it. And I know that both Robin and I have books in us. Um, and Robin's been an earlier guest on this show. So Robin Friedman, check out her episode and she's going to be back again soon. But we both have books inside of us too. So when Amber proposed this idea, we were really excited too, because I'm going to use this weekend in addition to supporting all of you know the beautiful participants, I'm going to use this weekend too to kind of set that intention and get started on my project. And I Yay. think it's a good opportunity for anyone, no matter what phase you are in that book writing process, if you're just like me, who, you know, the guide said your book is in 2024 and I've wanted to write, you know, I've written books, but I've wanted to write the book that I'm writing next, you know, probably since I was a child or someone like Robin, who basically has the book written. She just needs, to, she just needs to put a stamp on it and get it out there. So wherever you are in that process, um, whether you're just kind of thinking about it a little bit, or you just really want to, you have it all done and you want to know how to hit send, I think all phases will be honored by this, this workshop for sure. Yes. And so they can go to, uh, you know, if you go to ambertrueblood.com, then, you know, we'll have all the information there for the book and for the anxiety styles quiz and for the retreat. So you can go there and find all of it. Hey, all right. And tell us too about ambertrueblood.com. You have the amazing anxiety styles quiz yes. that is on there. Tell everyone how to find you, how to find the book, any kind of fun stuff that you have going yeah. on. Get it all out there. Well, so the book is available anywhere you buy books. So you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Audible, but you can also get it on bookshop.org and you know, support your local booksellers, support independent booksellers. Like it's it's available anywhere. And you can go to ambertrueblood.com and I have a bunch of really cool resources. So if you click in like, oh, I'm a visionary, then I'll send you my 
you know, guided meditation specific to visionaries, guided mantras for visionaries, and a host of other really fun, cool resources. And on that same website is where you'll find the Write Your Book Retreat info and the quiz and all that kind of good stuff. Yay. And if you're on Instagram, I'm at official Amber Trueblood. Beautifulness. All right, yeah. Amber, this was so much fun. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. And I know that it's going to resonate with a lot of people because like I said, the biggest question I get from everybody all the time is, how do I know if it's my fear, anxiety, or my intuition? So I'm really glad that we were able to start to hone in on those answers today. Yes. Wait, I want to say one more thing about the retreat. The space is limited and we're rushing this podcast so that we get it out in time before it fills up. And I think right now there are nine spaces left. I just got one more email today with somebody who says she's going to book. So nine spaces left. So if you're serious, literally go on there and pay the deposit now, and then we'll email you any answers to any questions you might have. And we can go from there. Thank you. All right. And thank you, Amber, for being here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You know how much I love you all and how grateful I am to all of you for letting me get to do what I love to do and have these amazing conversations. So thank you all for tuning in and namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.